Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you and um, as the Psalms have so many different emotions and so many different life situations in them, we know, Lord, that that's a picture of your people. As we come to this place, not everybody's happy, happy, and ready to receive, Lord. Some have come here in deep anguish and deep lament and grieving. Some have come anxious, not knowing how they're going to get through with their problems, Lord. We have some here that are very convicted about their sin, Lord. Uh, Maybe some that feel condemned. Lord, and then there are the people that come here joyful and amazed and happy, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to each one, to each heart. You're the only one that can speak to each heart. And I pray, Lord, that everyone that's come here, as they leave, they will know that they have come and they have met with the living God. That's something only you can do, that we would have that profound sense that you spoke to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to start a new series in the Psalms, and we'll do it through the summer. And um, it's really exciting. The Psalms, as you guys probably know, are the songbook that God's given us. And it's written by a bunch of different people over a period of time. A lot of ones by David. There's a couple by Solomon. There's people, lesser known people like Asaph and the sons of Korah. There's even one from Moses. And so it was written over a long period of time, all the way back to the days of Moses through David's life, which would be about 1000 BC. And then some of them even in the time of exile and after the Babylonian exile. And the, the, book, the word, uh, the book of Psalms, it means the book of praise. And so these are praise songs to the Lord. They're inspired songs, which is really cool. That he tells us exactly how to worship him. He shows us how to worship him. And we're calling this series uh, Mixtape. You guys know what a mixtape is? And there's been some difference on what mixtapes are. In my day, what a mixtape was, it was uh, something that you would take a cassette and you would record a bunch of songs for a friend. And so you might have the, the, the cool dual tape thing and you'd record one song and it was like you had to do the whole song through and then you put a different song on and it would be a mixture of songs that you really liked. And this is like one of the coolest gifts you could get from somebody because they took a lot of time to make. And they were deeply personal. Like, these are my songs. These are my songs that I think would connect to your songs. And so um, this summer, we're doing this series in the Psalms where we'll take one psalm a week and we'll we'll do a mixtape, some of our favorite psalms this summer. Um, This morning, I'm going to do kind of an overview, and then we'll do one psalm a week after that. Now, this morning, I'm probably going to do somewhere between 50 and 60 psalms this morning. We'll see how that goes. Um, It'll be pretty quick. So if it's too fast, there is a recording. You can listen to it slower later. And Lee made us these great cards that I really love that you have here. Um, These are to invite people because it turns out like there's nobody's going to come in this store unless somebody invites them. Like we're hidden. I don't know if you realize this. Like this is like secret church or something. Um, So invite people with this card. This would be uh, a way for you to bring people to hear the songs that you care the most about. And I think they would take that as as a great blessing. So we got plenty of those cards. They're on your seat. They're scattered around. We've got tons of them. But thanks to Lee for designing those. They're awesome. Um, And I'm really excited about the Psalms. I'm really excited about how God's going to transform us through the Psalms. And I want to look this morning at four things that the Psalms do for us to kind of open the book to us so that we can dig in from here. And the four things are this. The Psalms show us what God's like. The Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms show us Jesus, and the Psalms teach us how to worship. First, I want to talk about the Psalms show us what God's like. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He said that the Psalms are the Bible in miniature. What he meant by that is there's like a full theology of God in the Psalms. The Psalms are so rich in what they say about who God is and what he's like. And so what I've decided to do for the summer, because we're going to do a Psalm series, is I got this. They have these cool, this is an ESV Psalms only, 
which is a really cool thing. I know, we're totally into books, huh? But um, it's got a really nice layout and stuff. So what I'm going to do this summer is I set my Bible on the shelf, and I'm taking just the Psalms around because I want to immerse. I want to do it on repeat and get a real full sense of what this book is about. And, 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 and like Luther said, it's the Bible in miniature. Um, the Psalms show us what God's really like, and we need that, okay? We need to know what God's like because otherwise we'll try to make God in our own image, won't we? Like, if we aren't given information about what God's like, we'll fill in the blanks and decide what he's like. And you know what's fun? The God that we imagine, he always wants to do the exact same things we want to do, right? He always affirms everything we do, right? Because he's a God of our imagination. Voltaire said that, he said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And ever since then, man's been trying to repay the favor, right? And that's what we do. And so the Psalms are important. The Psalms are going to show us what God's really like. And what do they show us? I want to run through some attributes that you can find just in the Psalms. You've got a whole list of the attributes of God. The definitions I get for these attributes I got from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. If you guys want to do a fun study, go through those chapters on the attributes of God and just look at, he's, you know, he's eternal, he's omniscient, and what does that mean? It's just the most enjoyable thing to do. Uh, the Psalms show us, guys, that God is omnipresent. God has no size or spatial dimensions, and he's present at every point in space with his whole being. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there, and if I make my bed in the grave, you're there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and guide me, and your right hand shall uphold me. Isn't that amazing? The Psalms show us that God is omniscient. God fully knows all things actual and possible. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. The Psalms show us that God is omnipotent, that God is able to do anything that's a feat of power without taxing his strength. It says in Psalm 24, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, strong, mighty for battle. The, the Psalms show us that God is sovereign. When we say God is sovereign, it means he's a king. God reigns over the entire universe as king. And everything that happens is ultimately because of his will. Psalm 47 says, the, the, For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praise with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. He sits in his holy throne. The psalms show us that God is independent. By God being independent, it means that God has no needs outside of himself. He has no needs. Sometimes we think about like, you know, what about before creation? Wasn't he lonely? Wasn't he bored? No. God is Trinity, and he's three persons in one, God. And so he was never bored or lonely, and he has no needs outside of himself. He doesn't need us or any created thing, though he has set his affections on us. In Psalm 50, it says, God says, Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Isn't that awesome? God is completely um, without needs. He's independent. God is also, it says in the Psalms, eternal. By eternal, it means that God has no beginning or end, and then he sees all points in time equally vividly. You know, as you get older, like, there's certain things that aren't so vivid. He sees all of time equally vividly. It says in Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it passes as a watch in the night. Isn't that amazing? The Psalms say that God is free. Nothing can hinder God from doing his will. He's completely free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It says in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. 
The Psalms show us that God is wise. God is wise in that God always picks the best possible goals and the best possible route to meet those goals. That would be an important thing for us to remember in our lives, right? It says in Psalm 104, it says, The Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. Uh, the Psalms show us that God is holy, that, he, that he's set apart. And he's not just set apart from sin, but he is so majestically set apart from everything in creation that he is, he's better and superior to everything in it. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? The Psalms show us, guys, that God is righteous and he's just. And by righteous, we mean that God is right and he's the standard of right. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we want to go like, was that right of God to do? We can't do that, right? He's the standard of what's right. And he, because he's a just king, he judges all sin. Psalm 9 says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. And the Psalms contain vivid pictures of God's judgment. God judges sin, he judges sinners. As Psalm 7 says, If a man does not repent, he will wet his sword, he will bend his and ready his bow, he will prepare him for with he will prepare his deadly weapons and make his arrows fiery shafts. And so God is just, he's righteous, he's a just judge. But you know what's interesting about the Psalms? The Psalms do not depict God's judgment as a bummer. The Psalms do not depict God's judgment as a negative. Like, oh, we like all that other stuff, but he's a judge. Yeah, sorry about that, but he judges too. It's not that kind of thing. In the Psalms, guys, the psalmist always showed God's judgment as the only hope for setting the world right. You realize that? Because they saw that they couldn't complain about all the bad things in the world and then also complain that God was going to come and make it right, right? Um, God's judgment in the Psalms is seen as the only hope for the world. But the psalmist guys, they also saw themselves as sinners. And so they thought, well, if God judges, like, I'm a sinner too. And so they also have much in here about God's um, grace and his forgiveness and his love. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we see that ultimately where? We see that ultimately at the cross, right? As he sends his own son to die for our sins so that he can receive us as his own children. The Psalms show that God is good. God is good in that he, everything he does is good and worthy of approval. And if we don't feel like it's worthy of approval, where's the problem? It's in me, right? It's in me because he's good. Look at Psalm 34 is so good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And I would just ask, have you? Have you tasted and seen that he's good? Because it's one thing to grow up in the church and kind of an understanding of who God is and just kind of make an assent to say, yeah, you know, God's like that and that's fine. And so it's another thing to taste him. Have you tasted him? Guys, the Psalms are about tasting. There's so much tasting of God here. As you see his attributes, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good and then take refuge in him. Have him remove your sin. God is perfect, it says in the Psalms. God's perfection is this, that he lacks nothing that would make him better. Okay, God is perfect, and then he lacks nothing that would make him more desirable. Psalm 18 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. The Psalms also talk a lot about how God is beautiful. God is beautiful in that he is the sum of all desirable attributes. <laughs> Everything he has is appealing and beautiful. In Psalm 27, it says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I may seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. The Psalms also say that, that God is blessed. And when we say God is blessed, it means that God is the happiest of all beings. Isn't that cool? 
Think about the universe. Who's the happiest of all beings? God is the happiest of all beings. That's what it means when we say God is, is blessed. Psalm 106 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And because God is the happiest of all beings, he's the only source of everlasting joy. Right? Any joy that you've had in your life through anything was in some way emanated from God, directly or indirectly. It might have been a corruption of something God had made, but it's all from him. He is that beaming source of joy in the universe, that enduring source of joy. And if we don't have him, we'll, we will not have everlasting joy. Guys, the Psalms are singing theology. You know, This book, the Psalms, is singing theology, and it's a theology that makes you want to sing. It's reasons, right? It's reasons to worship. It's reasons to worship him. And maybe that list was a little too left brain for you. I mean, you guys are right brain people. I mean, you guys know what that means. So the right brain would be the more artsy side, right, if I'm not mistaken. And the left brain would be more analytical. Uh, maybe that was too analytical. The, the Psalms guys are poetry that will scratch you on the right side of your brain, too. Okay? And, and they do that through all kinds of poetic images. Um, we see in Psalm 84 that he's a fountain. God's a fountain. God's a rock in 18. God is a stronghold in 27. He is a burning sun in 84. He is a fortress in 18. He is a shield in 84. He is a light in 27. He is a hiding place in 36. He is our shepherd in Psalm 23. And in Psalm 17, it says he has wings, and then he'll shade and protect you, like a little baby chick. It says in Psalm 18, I love this one, that he's going to ride to our rescue on a cherub. Okay, so there's these angelic creatures, and they're not the little Hallmark babies, okay? Um, there's, these, there's these angelic creatures, and he's like settling up and riding in on a cherub to our rescue. That's in Psalm 18. And there's so much more. Bottom line, guys, is that God is the most desirable person you could possibly want to know. He is the most desirable of all beings. And so how do we have a relationship with him? Well, the Psalms show us how to have a relationship with him. And, and the short answer of how can I know this person, this God, is by meditation on his word, and prayer. Those are the two things. Two things are going to be meditation on his word and prayer. And Marcelo taught two excellent messages the last couple weeks on our relationship to God's word and meditation. So I want to mention the prayer part because the Psalms, guys, teach us how to pray. It's a prayer book. And you guys might think, well, I thought it was a song book. A lot of these songs are written Godward, right? They're, they're, it's like me to God. And so it turns out that this isn't just a song book. This is a prayer book. This is a book that shows us how to pray. It's an inspired book to show us how to pray. And I'm not sure that we could ever really know how to pray without a steady diet of the Psalms. I don't think it's going to be possible to have a really rich prayer life and, and not have a steady diet of the Psalms. So what do we learn from the Psalms? What kind of prayer does God want? When we look at all these prayers, what kind of prayer does he want? You know what he wants? Honest prayer. That's like the biggest thing I get out of the Psalms. He wants real talk. He does not want us to come and um, act like we're coming from the place we should be. He wants us to come from the place we are. He wants honesty. You know, we're tempted in the church to think that we should be kind of these half-smiley Stoics, right? You hear this term church face? What does church face mean? Everything's all right, right? You got this kind of half smile on your face, maybe not too enthusiastic, but uh, it's a half smile, and it just says, hey, everything's good, and I'm pretty happy with what God's doing in my life. Like, he's doing a good job taking care of me, and I just feel great about it. Um, I don't know where we heard we had to have a church face. I didn't tell you you needed a church face, and the Psalms do not instruct you to have a church face. When you look at the way that's prayed in here, it's authentic. God wants you to bring the real you to the real him and have a real relationship. And so the Psalms teach us how to pray. 
And there's something in here for wherever you're at. Have you ever noticed that as you're going through the Psalms? There is a Psalm about you in here. There is a Psalm that is where you're at. The fourth century uh, church father Athanasius said, whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, the Psalms, you can find a form of words to fit it. And I was thinking about it this way. The Psalms are like on-ramps to worship, right? And so there's all these different on-ramps that we can take. Don't you guys hate it when you're driving, especially through an urban area, driving along, and you, you, you miss your exit, and you go to the next exit, and you go to turn around, and there's no on-ramp. I hate that, right? And that's the way we can feel, guys, too, about our situation and emotions, right? When we come here to worship or we try to engage God in worship, we can feel that somehow we're in a place there's no on-ramp. I can't get to worship from where I am right now. You know, um, I, I, my emotional state is such that I, there's no way I can get to worship. Everyone else seems to th- have an easy time kind of joining right in for worship. And then there's me. I'm stuck on a surface street in a kind of sketchy neighborhood, right? I can't get there. This thing doesn't speak to me. But guys, the cool thing is, is that the Psalms have an on-ramp. They'll meet you in wherever emotion or situation you're at. And the on-ramps aren't all just happy, happy. There are happy, happy on-ramps here. But they're not all just happy, happy. So, you know, where are you at? Are you depressed? Psalm 69 says this. Listen to this. See if this is a church face. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I'm sinking in deep mire and have no foothold. I've come into deep water and the floods are sweeping over me. I'm weary of crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim as I wait for you. You know, maybe you're coming from a place of, 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 uh, of darkness like that, of depression. There's many psalms on depression. We'll do a week on that, how the psalms speak to the depressed. Are you afraid? Psalm 55. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come to me. Horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I'd just fly away and be at rest. Right? Fearful. What about grieving? Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent in sorrow, and my years of sighing, my strength fades. Multiple psalms for a person that's grieving in here. This, this book will teach us how to lament, how to lament before the Lord. Sometimes we don't learn that from each other, right? We only need to learn how to be happy, happy. But how do we lament in a biblical way? It'll show us. Are you in doubt and disappointment? <laughs> oh, there's lots of psalms for that. Psalm 6 says this, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Right? There's a lot of that in the Psalms, right? How long? How long is this going to go on? Do you ever pray like that? That's real authentic prayer. Psalm 10 says this, Oh Lord, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 13, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? No church face there, right? That's pretty authentic. How about this one? This one's real bold. Psalm 37, Awake, he says to God. And rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. He's saying to God, wake up. It seems like you're sleeping. It's intense. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day and by night, and I find no rest. He's basically saying like, I call you every day and you never pick up. And you never return my voicemails. Right? That's what he's saying in prayer. This is doubt. This is discouragement. And I want to just say to you guys who struggle with doubt, and I do too, I struggle with deep doubts lots of the time. Um, A lot of people throughout church history have. Don't doubt by yourself. You're actually supposed to bring your doubts to prayer. Isn't that interesting? 
lot of times when we're in a time of doubt and we just like do it off in the corner away from God's people and away from the Lord, he says, bring your doubts. There's plenty of Psalms that you could just read. If you're scared to say things like that for yourself, just read these to the Lord. You'd be like, hey, you wrote it. Right? He can handle it. Don't doubt alone. Doubt in prayer. Are you feeling convicted? Psalm 32. For I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away with my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Or another one, if you're feeling convicted about your sin. Psalm 51. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Isn't that awesome? Everything's here for you, right? You feeling rejected? Psalm 88, my beloved and my friends shun me and my companions have become darkness. There's something for everyone. There are also happy on-ramps, though, okay? But I tend to be, I know, the more dark personality probably, so I focus on all those my wife, I was telling my wife, there's happy on-ramps too. She's like, I like those. Okay, here's the likable ones. So Psalm 4 says, you have put more joy in my heart than those when their grain and wine abound. You know, sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer and we're in a good mood and we're thankful and we're happy. and We can do that too, right? Um, are you feeling happy? Are you feeling elated? Psalm 68 says this, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before Lord, the Lord. They shall be jubilant with joy. Jubilant with joy. Are you thankful? Psalm 9 says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Isn't that a cool one? And then you could do that. You could recount all those wonderful deeds. Are you amazed at God? Psalm 8, when I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you've set in the place, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Are you feeling at peace? There's an on-ramp for that. Psalm 131, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's like a, a prayer of just complete, just like, I feel good, you know? Are you comforted and confident? The Psalm 23 is actually about being comforted and confident when everything's kind of falling down around you. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. I could go on and on, guys. Don Whitney says that God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Isn't that true? God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. The psalms are so cool because the psalms know how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Like this book knows how to do that. Isn't that cool? So, because a lot of times, you know, especially when you're amongst Christians and you're in worship and things like that, you can feel like nobody has any problems but me, right? And, and they're all fine. And the psalms come forward and they say, no, 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 no. We all got problems. You're not seeing them maybe, but they're here. The Psalms know how to do that. There is an on-ramp to worship from wherever you are, no matter how dark or how bright. And I want to encourage you guys, I want to invite you guys to, um, to, to read through the Psalms in a month. And there's a way to do this, and we have a slide for it. It requires basic math. It's not going to be hard. But uh, there is a plan for reading through the Psalms. So you can read through the Psalms once a month if you read the day. So it's the fourth, right? So you would read Psalm 4, then you'd add 30, read Psalm 34, 64, 94, 124. Okay, and if you do that throughout, and then you read Psalm, I, I know you're checking this, and, uh, and if you read <laughs> Psalm 119 on the 31st, Psalm 119 gets hit either way, um, you'll read the whole Psalms in a, in a month. And what would be really cool if you did this is if you could do this through the summer so that you know where all the on-ramps are. Wouldn't it be helpful to be like, 
man, I don't feel like praying at all. I feel like God's so distant, you know? And then you go, oh, I know where to go. I go to this song for that, you know? Wouldn't that be helpful? So to do that on repeat until you have a sense for where these things are. And so this works, trust me, it's science, okay? This is good. And then Don Whitney says, you know, you're going to have these five psalms. Pick one to pray, okay? So you pick the one that meets who you are, you know? There might be a psalm of abandonment. You're not feeling like that. You're feeling really thankful. You pray that psalm and learn to actually pray the psalms. And so you'll pray the psalm to the Lord, and then you add some of your own words and kind of riff off of that, but you start with, with the psalm. So the psalms show us who God is. The psalms show us how to pray. Thirdly, the psalms show us Jesus, and I think this is really cool. The Psalms, guys, were sung about Jesus, and the Psalms were sung by Jesus. Okay? So even though many of these Psalms are written, you know, hundreds, maybe even a thousand years before Jesus, they're written about him. In Acts 2, when Peter's quoting Psalm 16, he says this. He says, David said in Psalm 16, concerning Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? So he cites Psalm 16 as as something that David wrote about Jesus. Peter is saying that David wrote Psalm Psalm 16 knowing that he wasn't writing about himself, but he was writing about the Messiah, Jesus. Have you guys ever noticed you read the Psalms and they kind of um, start with like, it's clearly about David's life, and you're like, okay, I can kind of relate to that. And then it kind of escalates. And you're like, okay, David, I don't really think, like, the whole world had turned against you and you're forsaken by God and all. It escalates, right? The Psalms often do that. They'll start with something in David's life, and they'll escalate, and they'll become about something and someone more. Often the Psalms do that, and they're, they're speaking of Jesus. They escalate to speak of Jesus. They're prophetic about Christ. And if we look in the Psalms, we can see him in here. I mean, even it's Psalm 1. You look at Psalm 1 and you think about the Psalm 1 man. Jesus is that Psalm 1 man that delighted in the law of the Lord. And the law was his meditation day and night, right? Um, Jesus is the, the man in Psalm 69 whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Remember when he cleansed the temple, that was cited of him. And Jesus, though he never had to plea for forgiveness from Psalm 32 and 51, he was the only one that could plea his perfect righteousness like Psalm 18 does. You ever stumble over those kind of like self-righteous sounding psalms? Those are the ones that only Jesus could pray. Only Jesus could pray this, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me, right? Only Jesus is, Jesus is the only man that could do that. He's the only one that, that had a righteousness that demanded God's reward, Jesus had a righteousness that demanded God's reward. And so when you read Psalms like that, those point to Christ. And he gives us that righteousness as a gift. Isn't that amazing? His righteousness is given credit to us as a gift as we trust in him. And, and, because, and, and he could do this because on the cross, guys, Jesus was the truly forsaken one of Psalm 22. He was the only one who could truly cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry out day and night, but you do not answer, and I find no rest. All who see me mock me. Think about the cross now. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads and they say, He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him if he delights in him. And a company of evildoers has encircled me, and they pierce my hands and feet. Okay, this is around a thousand years before Jesus. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments amongst themselves. They cast lots for my clothes. It's about Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins, and then as prophesied by Psalm 34, not one of his bones was broken. And then, just like Psalm 16 predicted, God did not allow his soul to be abandoned to the grave, right? But raised him from the dead. 
And so now Jesus is raised, he's in glory, and he's our good shepherd, Psalm 23, who leads us, his sheep, to green pastures and still waters. And then all the royal psalms are about Jesus. There's a ton in here about the royal, you know, the king and the king ruling. Those point to Jesus. In Psalm 2, it talks about God's own son being enthroned as king, even though the nations rage against him. All those royal psalms point to Jesus. So the psalms were sung about Jesus, but what's really cool is the psalms were also sung by Jesus. You know, when you're reading the psalms and you're praying the psalms and you're singing the psalms, you're reading and praying things that Jesus read and prayed. Isn't that amazing? These are his songs. These are the things he thought about. This is what filled his heart. The Psalms are really the soundtrack of Jesus' life. It's the way he filtered all of his experiences. He filtered them through the Psalms. The the Psalms are Jesus' mixtape, okay? Like he has given you a tape, a tape of his songs, the things that meant the most to him, and it's this book of Psalms. And when you dwell in the Psalms, guys, you're dwelling right next to the very heart of Jesus, you know, I was talking to Josh, and he was like, you know, Jesus never, like, he never wrote a book himself. He was written about. He never wrote a book himself. We don't have any surviving diaries or journals. But what we do have is we have the Psalms, which were the things that he, the way he communicated and spoke out his heart. These are the meditations of his heart. These were on his lips, even to his dying breath, he quoted the Psalms. And it's just amazing, guys. It's amazing that we have access to Jesus like that. Fourthly, the Psalms will show us how to worship. These are inspired songs. The Psalms have been given to us to show us how to worship, to give us reasons to worship. And and, and he's given us all kinds of reasons throughout here. And then the construction of it's kind of cool too. The construction of the Psalms is actually meant to lead us to worship. I don't know if you guys noticed, but there are books in the Psalms. It was years before I noticed this. If you go through your Bible, all of a sudden you see a heading, book two, book three. And so, I know, you're shocked. There are, you know, they're, they're batched in little groups, the Psalms are. And, and they're batched as one big, there's a construction, it's one big kind of highway to lead you to worship. They're organizing these five books, and there is a general flow. It's not 100%, there's exceptions and stuff, but there's a general flow to it, and the general flow is this. The first two books, which is Psalms 1 through 72, are mainly about David. They're mainly about David, his life, his reign. Um, most of those books are about that, and that would be by Israel considered kind of the good old days, you know, when God was doing all kinds of amazing things in Israel, and so as they look back on those books, they would think that. Book three, though, mainly focuses on Israel in exile, so they were disobedient, and they got shipped off to Babylon, and during that time, it was a very sad time, they're taken away from their land, they also had no Davidic king, they had no king from David's line. And so it's a time of great sorrow and disappointment and doubt and wondering. It's a time of exile. And they were wondering during that time, is God going to fulfill his promises to David to give us a king? Is he going to fulfill his promises to Abraham and give us a land and a descendant that's going to bless all nations? Is this stuff going to happen or do we just end up here in exile? This is the end of the story. Do we blow it so badly that God is not going to fulfill these things for us? That's book three in general. And then book four, which starts with Psalm 90, um, and book five, which ends with 150, answer the question of whether God's going to fulfill his promises. What's the answer? The answer is yes, right? God is going to fulfill his promises. Yahweh's going to restore his people to the land. He's going to send a new king, a, a new David to come and, and rule over them and bring his kingdom in, right? He, he's going to forgive their sins and restore a kingdom on earth. And then uh, book four, it starts in Psalm 90 with the Psalm of Moses. And this would have reminded God's people of the great exodus when they were in bondage and they were taken out and given the promised land. And it's a reminder to them that Yahweh is going to give them a new exodus and lead them to a new and a better promised land. So it's a book of hope. 
God's king will reign, not only just on Israel, but over the whole world. And then book five, which starts with 107 and through 150, is especially focused on praise. It's praising God for his faithfulness and his power. Now, there's praise throughout the whole thing, don't get me wrong. But the last five psalms are all very specific, just praise things. And so what happens throughout the flow of this is that the praise becomes more rapid fire near the end. Kind of like a fireworks show. You have the, and people are like, oh. And then at the end, it's like, right? That's what it's like in the book of Psalms is the last few are all worship. They're, they're hyping us up to worship God because Yahweh's going to fulfill his promises. The kingdom will come. Jesus will reign here. The exile will end. God's people, including all of us, will enjoy all the promises made to Abraham and David. That Jesus will return and bring in his kingdom. The world will see its king and enjoy his presence. And it's not just going to be in an earthly temple only. It's going um, to be in the whole world. Uh, You know how the psalmist often talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever? Speaking of the temple, right? Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. He wants to do that. Well, the Bible at the very end in Revelation 21 and 22 says that what's going to happen is is that Yahweh's temple will encompass the whole world. It's so awesome that it won't just be an earthly temple, but the whole world will be filled with the presence of God and we'll enjoy it there. We'll, in, we'll enjoy his presence and we'll, we'll feast in, in this earth temple, this place that's been recreated and made a whole temple. We'll feast in it. We're going to explore in it. We're going to cultivate it. We're going to create in it. We're going to invent in it. We're going to love him and others in it. It's going to be a restored humanity in a restored world with the full presence of God with us. And many of the original singers, guys, of the Psalms, they sang while they were in exile. You know, they would have sang while they were in exile. There's a, one of them that I love where they say, you know, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You know, people say, oh, sing us the songs of Israel. You know, the Babylonians are saying. And they're like, we can't. We're in exile. It's sad. This is not a time to sing. There were people in exile. There were, in a, there were people that were in the time in between, the time in between God's great acts with David and, the, and before the time when God was going to fulfill his promises. And we're in a time like that too, guys. We're in a time where we've seen the mighty acts of God in Christ and and the coming of the Holy Spirit and all these things that have happened. And yet we're waiting for the full promise of God to come and make this place new. And so we live in this time in between. You know, the world's not our home, right? Not yet. It will be our home when he makes it all new. But it's not our home until he returns and makes it new. But when we look in the Psalms and we see who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and his faithfulness to to continue all the things he's promised us, we can praise him. Can't help but praise him, even though we're in exile. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.